Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now entered the house of mystery with your host, Shapiro, David Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is in the house today. I'm in the house. I'm in a good mood, Al. So let's you know let's run up that. Yeah, I know. I don't take advantage of my good mood. Yeah, that's not often. I don't. I don't know what. I'm scared to say anything because I don't want to change your mood. Well, I think it's because of our guest today. I think he's 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 in a good mood. He makes he puts me his stuff is so good it puts me in a good mood. Oh, great. Well, that's that's great. That's good. Okay. Oh, right. Oh, thank you. I'm, you know, a little slow today. <laughs> well, we've got an author with us that does your type of writing, too, kind of like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a thriller, agency, sort of spy, excitement. Can't, can't. He's in the White House. He's inside. Yeah, he's inside. Well, I saw his, uh, of course, The Night Agent was his last novel, and it was made into a series on Netflix. I just finished watching that. Great, great show, and I'm, I'm excited to have him as well. And he's got a new book out called The Inside Threat. So, Matthew Quirk, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Matthew, so how did this all begin for you? Because um, you're like, you're sitting on top of the world now. You've got like a hit series on Netflix, and you got some great books out now, and you're kind of um, on top of the world. But um, was this sort of a plan for you since the beginning? Uh, well, my plan is no plan, really. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I always liked writing, like a lot of people, like a lot of people um, who worked in D.C. I was in journalism at The Atlantic. I wrote novels on the side. And it had always been a dream to be able to um, – just have them see the light of day, you know, um, and being able to make a living at it, uh, knock wood, is, you know, a dream come true. And I wrote books on the side when I was at the magazine. I was very young there. And then it all sort of started getting serious because I, I gave a copy of something I've been working on to a friend who worked at Harper's to give to um, someone I thought was like a young literary agent, a sort of not very intimidating way to see if I was any good. And then I got laid off. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. And <laughs> I heard vision. back from the agent about like three days after I got notice, and he said, keep going. And he worked for um, a kind of super agent who you all know. He had given it to his boss, and he said, keep going. And I thought, you know, oh, if I knew... <laughs> 
that all these heavy duty people are going to be reading this stuff. I would have done a better job, you know? Um, but the, the whole story is of getting just the right encouragement, um, just when I needed. So I sort of went off and wrote a book and then another book and got an agent. And then I didn't know if it would work out. And right before my wedding, which had been sort of like my deadline to see if this would really pan out, I got a deal for a book called The 500 and a movie deal. And I thought I was on top of the world. I you know I thought I was on easy street. But then, you know, as you folks know, because uh, you talk to so many authors and you write yourself, like you just have to put the books out year after year and keep your head down working. So, um, you know, I had a little brush with Hollywood back then in around 2011, 2012. And I've just been kind of grinding away. And then this uh, night agent success really came out of the blue and has been uh, just a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, that's kind of the best when it happens that way because it, it, it's kind of not planned. And I think you learn a lot that way. When when surprises have happened to me with um, TV or network, I'm I'm thrilled with it. And I seem to learn a lot. So it's a good thing. But you can't get carried away with it. You're right. you got to keep your head down and still keep doing your work. You, you don't want to have your... You don't want to be taken away from all the noise. Yeah, and you know the best I, the best path to success in um, novel writing, commercial fiction, whatever you want to call it, seems to be to just slowly write good books and build your audience. You know the way somebody like Mark Graney or Harlan Coben did. And um, you know I had the experience of having a big bet placed on my debut novel, and that's a really dangerous wager. You know because if um, if it doesn't perform to the absolute highest levels, then, you know, you can get thrown off the merry-go-round pretty quickly. So um, I'm just glad I'm still here doing it, honestly. <laughs> hey, Matthew, you uh, have stated in the past that you kind of, you kind of visualize as you write, like think through what you're doing and just use the computer as sort of the means by sort of taking dictation for what you've already thought of. What was it like to see your words up on screen? I know, it's a, I know the screen's different than the book, but what's it like seeing your characters come alive like that? Oh. Well, it's it's one of the biggest thrills of my life, you know, um, because I love TV and movies. I grew up on you know movies like Die Hard, 80s action stuff, because, you know, they used to make political thriller films there. And then I went back and I really devoured everything in the 60s and 70s in the paranoid genre. So I'm just like a movie nerd. And, uh, you know, you write the book and then the showrunner, Sean Ryan, was gracious enough to send me the pilot. So seeing it in the pilot form was a thrill because I just see that the scene that I had imagined, you know, in my little room where I write, uh, was going to be acted out and performed by these incredible individuals. And then when I actually got to watch the show, I, it was just, I was elated because, um, you know, you, you see it bodied forth in the world and it's, it's, it's such a thrill. Um, and that was, just, I, that was so incredibly cool to me. And, I mean, I would have been happy to just see a TV show and the fact that they made a great TV show and then further that it had this great response around the world. I, I still think maybe I'm hallucinating all this, you know, like a wish fulfillment thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm really just counting my blessings. Yeah, none of it. We're not real. We're all in <laughs> Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, just I'm still living under a bridge in D.C. and I imagined everything since. <laughs> That's one of my jokes. Yeah, none, none of this is real. You don't even have a computer, okay? So, <laughs> you know, when the night agent comes out and stuff like that, um, I know talking to Ann Cleves a while back, she was talking about her series and sometimes the lead characters, the people playing the main parts. 
sometimes the actors take him in places that you necessarily like you didn't intend on perhaps you know what i'm saying like that, that there's changes that an actor will bring or an actress will bring to your characters did you notice that in the night agent or was it bothersome to you or did you like how they did that well the real significant changes came from uh, the writer and i was i was prepared for it i think authors tend to be protective so there's always a little bit of shirtiness you know when when somebody changes your stuff right. um but on the whole i was just really pleased although there were really significant changes but sean sent me an email with the pilot and said you know i wanted to make sure i did right by your story and was just really really kind to me um I was I was really surprised and and blown away by how kind he was to sort of a first time adaptation author, especially because he has such an incredible career. And but I knew from the beginning, and that's sort of the reason uh, the show picked up steam so quickly, that he had a story he'd wanted to tell. And then when he read my book, he realized they could kind of come together. And from what I've read in interviews, he it really fired his creative engines and got him really excited. Um, so he wrote the, you know, the pilot um, on spec, which he doesn't really need to do at his level. But he was just really fired up about it. And I was really just grateful to have him on board. And I think it's it's easier for me to to see these big changes because the show almost became became its own thing. You know, the Secret Service story the vice president's daughter story, that's all new. So I had the thrill of seeing scenes rendered word for word at the beginning. And then by the end, I was watching it as a viewer. And the first twist I ran into, I, oh my God, you know? Um, and and so it, it was good in that way. And I was also much more open to any changes because I just had so much trust in Sean and... I saw where he was going and I was just glad that he was kind of working from my story and his story to get there. And then, you know, the actor changes were interesting. Um, I thought Gabriel Basso and Luciani Buchanan did a fantastic job. They're not exactly how I pictured the characters, but it, it becomes its own thing, you know, and, and Gabriel is just a really fascinating guy, incredibly kind of honest thoughtful guy and he spends all his free time as far as i can tell doing martial arts so he kind of like lives it and walks the walk so having him in the lead on a role like that was amazing how do you think it changed you like when when this became a series and you looking at it and the things they did with your writing to make this series the changes and the and the ideas um so going into your newer book, like Inside Threat, do you think that it changed the way you wrote the new book? Not particularly. I've always written kind of cinematic books, um, partially because of what Joe mentioned before. I, I picture it all unfolding in my head and then go write it down. And actually, Inside Threat was completely done. I took some time off because my wife and I had our first child. Um, so Inside Threat yeah. was completely done by the time this came out. And I had actually decided on and outlined another book that I was sort of wrapping up the outline on when the show came out. And I'd been around Hollywood enough, not around Hollywood, I'd had enough experiences in Hollywood to know not to think like, oh, I'll be on Easy Street. 
So I, I hadn't really planned for the show to change anything. The, the wonderful thing about the show is it really has gotten the books out there. It's helped me just because having the show succeed, I can breathe a little more easily um, day to day doing this for a living because, um, you know, making a living in the arts can be a bit of a roller coaster. And anything that helps you relax a little bit in terms of having a cushion or, or some success is is very much appreciated. Well, yeah, I have a couple of questions. I'm trying to decide which I want to go with. I'm going to go with this one. You you write, like you said, in like a book a year. Is that a I right? aim for that, yeah. So how do you keep the ideas fresh? You've been doing this for a while, and you now have a success. It's a different kind of success. As you say, people are now know your name and going back and buying your books. How do you keep your ideas fresh? The main way I, I work with ideas is I just write them down whenever they come to me. And then when I have a new book to write, I sit down with that list of ideas. Um, I keep it in Evernote with like tags. And so I just pull up book ideas and then I have all these ideas. And you know, the stuff that comes to you at two in the morning and you like put it in a voice memo and you think <laughs> you think you're going to have the next um, the next gone girl or uh or uh or Dan know? Brown you know and then you and then you look at it a few months later and you're like this isn't even english this is gibberish you know <laughs> so i like i like letting it cool off a little bit and then you see that you know certain books are always at the top so i've been working through the same list for the last like 6 or 7 years really and you know, you'll dive into something and then you'll realize it's actually, it seemed clever, but it's actually too clever and it's kind of too twisty and intractable. You know, Inside Threat, the latest book was an idea of, you know, what if the president gets locked in his doomsday bunker and then he's locked in with the bad guys. And the night agent was based on a friend of mine who worked for the FBI, young guy at the time. And he would disappear every night like clockwork to do uh, a night shift. That just fascinated me. So that was a hook. So they just kind of burble to the top. And then I spent some time kicking them around and seeing which one actually has legs. And then I mentioned them to friends and agents and editors. And, uh, you know, if, if people say, ooh, and, and lean forward, then, um, then I know I have something. How much do you determine if your idea is, and book you're writing is relevant at the time? Are there issues or topics or themes that you're trying to get across in the books, or is it just an ever-fresh, standalone sort of book? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think specifically of, of relevance or freshness, but I think that they burble up through the process. You know, for instance, Inside Threat has a lot of questions about information and, you know, threats to the government and within the government. And so it's, it's all stuff I think about day to day because I was a former journalist and I'm a bit of a politics junkie. But in a lot of ways, I try to make sure if I do anything deliberately, it's to make sure they're not overtly partisan or political because I think that can, I, I just get turned off when I see that in books. And I think it can date them. And so what I try to do is kind of dig into more universal themes so that it'll, it'll hopefully be relevant if somebody, if I'm lucky enough that people are reading it in 10 or 20. You know, then often when you get into deeper themes, it's, it's more character driven. And also it's interesting because I'll have, I have a pretty broad spectrum politically who reads these things and they'll see different things in it and it speaks to them differently. And I take that as, you know, a sign that I did a, a pretty good job on it because, um, 
you know, it's it's universal enough stuff that um, people can can draw different lessons from it. Yeah, I, I've always said that. That must be kind of a surprise in the sense that uh, what some people, what some readers will actually pull out of something you've written, you, you must get some real surprises at times. Well, I mean, it's a funny thing about politics today that people are, you know, it's because of where people get their media, but people are very much in their bubbles. And so it's, in some ways, you don't have to worry as much about, you know, will this appeal to a broad spectrum politically? Because people see everything through their own political filter. So it has been funny that... I'll give a book to two people who would be completely, who would be, you know, arguing at Thanksgiving or whatever. And and the one person will say, like, oh, this is about XYZ conspiracy. And the other person will be like, oh, this is about, you know, ABC conspiracy. And they're completely opposite <laughs> conspiracies. But, you know, yeah. people project. Yeah. So if you have... Um, you know, if you have a crummy president in your book, each side will think it's the other side's crummy president. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting times. Yeah. You know? Well, so they all like you then. Yeah. They, they yeah. Like you're on their yeah. side. <laughs> it's like some Jukabian drama, you know, where everyone thinks I'm on their yeah. side and I'm just <laughs> running down the middle. Yeah, that's crazy. So do you feel a, uh, any sort of extra pressure now? Uh, that you've got the Netflix thing out, and it's on a lot of people's minds. They're watching it. It's happening. And then you're putting out Inside Threat. Does it sort of make you feel uh, a little bit of pressure or hope that it does as well? Honestly, I, I feel less pressure just because of what I mentioned a little earlier, that there's some success and a little bit of a cushion now. You know, there is pressure, but it's sort of always been there since my first book was optioned in kind of a big way. I've had everything at least get read in Hollywood, you know. And so if you think too much about it, that these famous actors and producers are going to be reading your stuff, you can get stage fright. But, you know, I'm just out in the garage now because we have the baby. And it's, it's, a, it's a great job in that way to stay grounded because nothing has changed. Um, and I'm just out here with the book playing make-believe. So I, I don't think too much. In, in those ways. And, um, if anything, it's taken the pressure off because, uh, you know, it's sort of the success of the show is keeping the devil from my door for, my, for a few years, God willing. Uh, Matthew, you've got your list of ideas. So when you have it, having looked at your book, read your books, do you start with the plot and for those ideas or do you build your characters and then have the plot drive them along? Well, I, I, I think character is one of the most important things. In a book, I should say up front. But I typically start with a premise or a plot. Although, they're intertwined, right? So, I have my friend who worked this night shift. And, you know, I found out what his job was later. And it was actually even cooler than what the night agent. But, you know, that's that's a character. A young man sitting by a phone all night that never ring. But it's also sort of the hook for a premise. And they all just develop organically in this incredibly muddy process of writing a book, which for me mainly consists of taking long walks or or staring out the window, and then it comes together. So Inside Threat, I mentioned the premise earlier. It started with the premise of, you know, locking everyone in this bunker. And then, you know, that world can only have so much secret service, you know, political aid, so on. You can't have, like, a Spanish beekeeper in there who's on a journey of faith or something. Um, (laughs) you, You could... (laughs) <laughs> um, and and so 
I, I will often start with the plot, but then I, I spend a lot of time, and it's always uh, a fascinating process for me to have the characters flush out. So with Inside Threat, I have sort of a main uh, hero, Secret Service agent, who's disillusioned with politics because of politics in general and specific things that happened with him. He took a bullet for the president and saves the president's life, but there was sort of more going on to that than... Um, then first meets the eye. And then there was just going to be a rookie, you know? So you would have um, different viewpoints. This is how these things develop. And then he was also going to have a buddy, like a press aide, who gave him somebody to protect in the bunker. And then slowly they became the same character. And then slowly I thought, well, what if the rookie was a young woman and her father had died in that incident? And then, you know, when it started, he was very sort of protective of her. But then as I edited, she became kind of fiercer and fiercer and cooler and cooler, but still had some of that, um, you know, first day jitters. And, you know, they just they just started as complete blobs. I had no idea who these people would be. And then by the end, they were they were fighting and they had backstories and she was from Eastern California. So it, it, that's how it all goes. And it's it's an amazing process. And. I, you know, I, I did physics and math in college, and I used to think you could schematize everything. And now I realize you just need to let your brain work at its own mystery, mystery levels to work all this stuff out. You just need to walk and think deeply and, and let it develop. And, and how, how do you experience your characters? How do you work with them? Do you, do you like, so Eric Hill, you know, for instance, or is, is this someone you hear their voice? Do you see it like a movie? Um, how do you describe that uh, that process? You know, I'll I'll take a walk and like cool little aspects of his personality will come to me, and I'll jot those down in a big messy outline. I use a program Scrivener, which I'm an evangelist for um, for outlines and for writing. So I just like take long walks, and then these things slowly resolve themselves. I don't really picture them. I don't really hear them unless I'm writing dialogue and then I will sort of be kind of acting out parts a little bit. Not in, not in a, like jumping around You're the garage rehearsal way, but you know. No. Um, yeah, Shakespeare yeah. Sword, yourself across the I will say though that, um, <laughs> you know, my wife and I, she will, we're really busy now, but you know, more in the past, if I had a scene where it was like a knife fight, I'll be like, hey honey, take this ruler. And we kind of act out the knife fight. Otherwise, you might end up with a knife fight where somebody has a knife in one hand, a gun in the other, and like a cup of coffee in the third. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an interesting process. It, what, it, do you have any problems writing the bad people? Oh, no, I love writing the bad people. I mean, you lock into this kind of like pretending you're a villain. I, I, find, it, I find it exciting. You know, they said that about, uh, I forget who said that about Milton, you know, when he was writing The Devil, that he was secretly in the devil's party. And because the, they give... The danger and the fear, it, it's the engine of these thrillers. So I like writing them because whenever they're around or stalking someone, it's looming, it really fires the engines of the, of the book. Matthew, you've written a lot of thrillers. Is the uh, Green American novel inside you, the next uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Ah! No, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, come because, on. You got it. You got because, the shots. You got thank the God. Um, because so my, my first real writing bug was like high school, end of high school, beginning of college. And then I, I signed up for a creative writing class. It was competitive. And I was such a little egomaniac back then. 
I thought, I'm just going to go straight into the workshop. And, and they let me in, which was crazy. You know, it, it was a legit workshop. I was at Harvard undergrad, and the woman was a very well-established um, literary writer. And I just, I didn't have that kind of depth or I wasn't that interested in sort of like, I, I, you can do anything with literary, but it often defaults to kind of closely observed psychological domestic stuff. And I just, I wasn't good at it at all. And um, I think I got like a, I got like a B minus or something, which is like, it's a crummy grade at Harvard. And um <laughs> And then I was fortunate enough, you know, at the same time I was trying to write stuff that had all this plot, because really when, at the end of the day, I'm kind of a plot and genre guy. And then just everything worked out wonderfully because I got a job at the Atlantic. I was in DC. It was the run up to the Iraq war. So there was a lot of injury. The owner of the magazine had a really small staff in DC at the time. So he would invite us to his house for like a salon, like an old school Georgetown salon. And I'd be talking to, uh, you know, a former CIA director or, well, they would be talking. I was just trying to make sure I used the right form and didn't get too drunk. Um, and they were talking about whether the U.S. should become an imperial power and all this heady stuff. And my friends were doing foreign correspondent kind of stuff and they would, you'd go to their house for beers and listen to records and there would be like spies there, you know, from foreign agents. So all of that fired up my imagination and brought me back to thrillers, which I had been reading since I was like 12, you know, um, if not earlier, of Richam and Crichton and King. Uh, so it, it worked out, and I realized that literary stuff, I, I don't, I like to read it, but I, it's not my strength. And I'm just so glad I found um, the kind of stories that I like to write and that it seems to be working out. So what do you hope someone gets out of the book? Someone picks up one of your books, like Inside Threat, they read it. Um, there's the excitement, the adventure, the story, all that. Is there something else you want people to take away from your book? The main thing is really for them to have a good read um, and a good, good adventure and to be gripped. And, you know, I remember the, the first time I got, the first times I got sucked into novels and it, it was just the most magical thing on earth. And I used to be 10, 11 years old and I'd have like a Crichton or a King book and I would read like 300 pages at a time and it'd be four in the morning and I would have to get up for school. And I, I just love that. And then it, it's nice and I tend to, um, I tend to naturally put this stuff in because of, maybe because I was exposed to it so much in journalism or because I'm thinking about it all the time. But I also like to have elements in there that uh, are real and interesting aspects, either tradecraft from different national security jobs or this kind of gee whiz, did you know stuff. Like Raven Rock and Inside Threat is a real place and it's fascinating. And I was able to sort of describe the bizarre ways they build these bunkers and underground cities, really, so that they're nuclear-proof. Um, so it's nice for me, when I read a book, and hopefully when somebody reads one of my books, to come away thinking, like, oh, I actually learned some stuff there. And then, finally, it's nice if these these themes come across. Um, you know, this kind of more universal stuff and the deeper themes of, like... In Inside Threat, it's, um, you know, doing the right thing versus your kind of sworn duty 
um, to the Constitution or might be, you know, protecting your fellow um, agents. What if that's pitted against your duty to protect the principal, family and loyalty and duty and all that stuff? So hopefully there's a little bit of substance there that gets people thinking um, in ways that are relevant to what's happening in the world. Well, you've been a writer since the beginning with the school for it, but a lot of people are not. What do you, what's your advice? I know, I know it's an obvious question and sometimes the answers are obvious, but every author has a slightly different twist on if somebody, what do people do to be, to be the writer? Oh, I mean, I, I love that question and the answers are never obvious. And I was just a young guy who was trying to figure it out myself and I've, I've made every possible mistake. So, I mean, first you have to read a lot so you can sort of internalize the genre. And then for me, my sort of nuts and bolts writing advice, you all alluded it to a bit, uh, alluded to it a bit earlier, but it's um, to get away from the computer, to think deeply about what you're working on, to let your brain sort of order it and work out the problem instead of just kind of moving the cursor around, typing and endlessly revising the same words at the beginning over and over. Because there's so much protect, uh, perfectionism and kind of stage fright that goes into writing, for me at least, at the beginning. My other piece of advice is I'm an outliner, so I think you should use that process to figure out most of your story before you dive in. And then finally, I recommend people write the super rough first draft, which sometimes has a little bit of a saltier name in writing advice circles. But it's, you know, once you know your story, just get it down and get it down in a really rough way. And I will do things like I'll use um, kind of fill in the blanks so I'm not procrastinating by looking up the perfect kind of gun or piece of tech to use in a scene. And I just get a super rough draft down. And then you can return to it. You can relax a little bit. And you can look over the whole story. And, and then you're sort of, you're revising. You're no longer in that scary something from nothing phase. Have you ever, that. Yeah. Have you ever felt writing a, uh, a story and getting partway through or a quarter of the way through and it's just not working for you and you just never use it? I will typically, hopefully, do that in the ideation phase, you know, because I can get pretty far along just walking or staring into blankness. And I had an idea for a book, which I thought was so great. And, and maybe I'll rework it. Um, but it was somebody lets his friend use his company for a CIA cover. And, you know, the CIA has this sort of domestic side where they work with companies to provide covers. And I thought that was a cool world. And then his friend goes missing and he has to assume the cover. I thought that was so cool. And I just, I couldn't get it to work. And I spent a lot of time outlining. And I just, it was, it was too tricky. You know, um, and so I just, I, I abandoned it. I did that more at the outline phase. So that was nice because I hadn't spent, you know, I'd spent, I don't know, a couple months thinking about it as opposed to four months writing a draft to figure out that it was not workable for me. And, and part of the reason I like the rough draft so much is it benefits you coming and going because it's, it's easier to do and then it's easier to abandon. You're sort of not throwing good money after bad because if you've actually written something, you become very attached to it. But if you've only outlined a story, it's easier to let it go. 
And when you're revising, it's much easier to chop out like a big section of a book that's not working when it's in rough draft form than when you've spent like months polishing it and have some beautiful turns of phrase in there. Matthew, let me ask you another question here. You've been around for a long time. Um, the question is, what do you, is your idea or feeling about the state of the current book industry? There's mergers, non-mergers, there's AI, there's self-publishing. What, what's the, where's the industry going? You know, I don't really have a good sense of that. Um, I, there, there are authors who, who have the landscape and are savvy and are kind of pioneering new ways to promote and, and new ways to distribute. And I just kind of put my head down and write the books. And I like publishing because you have an agent who is just a professional, smart business person who knows everybody. Because I go through these kind of extroverted and introverted phases and uh, when I'm writing or when I'm not writing. And I, my agent, he knows everyone in New York, Dan Conaway. He's a wonderful guy. And so I don't have to be like in New York, having lunch every day, having drinks. I can just um, do that when I want to, and it's fun. And then most of the time, I can just put my head down and do the work. Yeah, for me, writing has always been this kind of obsessive thing. So it's amazing that as a job, a lot of it, or for big stretches of the year, you're able to just absolutely burrow in one deep task, which is so rare in, in people's lives and work today. So I, I, I don't have, I don't really know where things are going. I'm just, I'm just kind of writing my book and hoping it all works out. Totally legitimate. Totally a way to go. So, so who do, who do you read? I was just going to say, who do you read? Like, what do you, what, you know, besides, of course, Joe's books. Yes. Well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. But, yeah. <laughs> but, I think Dan Conaway rejected me once. I'd have to check my agent list. I'm pretty sure he rejected me. Oh, well, he's, me, uh, he's, he's, he's got so many clients. He's a tough guy to get in with. Yeah. That's what he said. I remember his letter. It was yeah, very I nice. Yeah, I wouldn't read anything into that. Um, yeah. 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 So I read, you know, Daniel Silva, Mark Graney, Greg Hurwitz, uh, Michael Connolly. Um, I'm going to get into trouble because there's so many good guys working in the genre now. Uh, Robert Crace is phenomenal. And, yeah. um, you know, just, and, and the cool thing now is I, I have people sending me stuff. So I have, I have Ryan's new book. Um, but uh, yeah. now that I have the, Lethal now range. that I have the you, lethal range, yeah, and I started it, it's terrific. But um, you know, now that I have, uh, she's seventeen months now. My my reading time is is pretty hard to come by. And if I, if my wife comes out and I'm sitting in the easy chair with my feet up with a book, she's like, I'm sure there's something you could be doing to keep to keep the chaos at bay. You've been there. So, okay, so now, um, are you a social media guy? Do you have all that set up? Do you have people? Do you like to find readers on there and talk to them, or do you have, like, a website? How do people find Matthew? I have a website, uh, matthewquirk.com. I have a newsletter, which is this this wonderful way to connect with people, honestly, because I, I do a giveaway anytime I have a book out. I have one going now, actually. You know, I just went to Columbus, which had its first book festival, and I met all these people. You know, I got, I put up my little mailing list sign up, and then I sent it out, and a bunch of them wrote back, and they're like, you know, new buddies and stuff. And um, so I, I, the newsletter is just a nice way to connect with everyone. And then I do, let's see, I do Twitter. I'm M Quirk. I do Instagram. I'm Matthew Quirk author, and I do Facebook. I'm also Matthew Quirk author there. And I'm not, I do, you know, I keep people up to date on the books. 
I'm not doing a lot of kind of like videoing my adventures and stuff like that. I usually just don't have like the wherewithal or the time. Um, occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll put some cool pics from like a Japan ski trip or something on there. And yeah, that's, that's another nice thing because it's just as a job, it's so solitary. And then once a year you go out and get to see people and the social media is really nice because you get to, you know, connect with people around the world who are reading the books and, um, yeah, it's just it's it, it warms my heart every time somebody reads one of these things and reaches out and, and enjoys it. Well, of course, we're, now we're going to have everything up on the website as well, so people can find you and find your info and and things. How, how was the? Um, you must have been writing this over the pandemic, and how was that for you? <laughs> the funny thing about the pandemic was, and and I'll touch on a a point Joe made earlier, which is you know sometimes you think you'll have to abandon a book a quarter of the way through. Sometimes you hand in a book, <laughs> and then it turns out it's no good. So I had that happen, like, right before the pandemic. So the year before that, I was in an absolute sprint to completely rewrite a book in three months, and my nerves got fried, and I was, like, so stressed out. And then I had to kind of climb my way back out of deadlines and all this. And it was really funny because then the pandemic happened and not to belittle it. I know, you know, it affected so many people so significantly. But for me, I was like, hey, I'm just glad. I'm sorry the world is ending, but I'm just glad I got through <laughs> that deadline crisis from last year. Um, and yeah, it's all about you. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like, but just like at a personal level, I was I was doing better because I gotten. I'd gotten out from behind the eight ball. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was weird, but, um, I was very, I, I mean, fortunately, my wife and I were both working from home and we were able to sort of stay safe and, uh, you know, our, we were able to keep our jobs, which we're grateful for. And, uh, you know, I just kept cranking out the books. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if, if, if do, you, do you think it, it seeps into your writing? Like the darkness, like when it's a lot of weird stuff going on, like you were talking about, you know, the politics and how things are, you know, pretty heavy at times and, and different things going on. And you got the pandemic and all the kind of hysteria and stuff like that. Do you, do you think it'll get into your writing? Well, a little bit. Like there's no specific allusions to specific political points or conspiracies in Inside Threat, but just the, the general tenor of politics these days where it's at a high boil and um, things that were inconceivable to me in 2000s when I was kind of in D.C. writing about politics are, are now happening. I, that definitely shows up in the books. Like, you know, writing a book about a coup um, or an attempted coup seems uh, that would that would have seemed far fetched in 2005. But now it seems like, you know, it's kind of in the air. And um, and then other things like when I was writing The Night Agent, which has the idea of, of Russian interference in politics, and it, it zigs and zags, so it doesn't really map onto any particular political persuasion. But I was writing that, and the idea that, you know, the Russians might have, like, secretly had a candidate in their pocket or something was, was seemed far-fetched. And then that became the huge debate about Trump. And I actually had to rework the book a little bit to make it surprising, um, to stay ahead of the, stay ahead of the headlines and make it fresh. And then ultimately it made the book kind of surprising to people, no matter how they felt about that. 
that issue. And so ultimately it was helpful, but at the time it was terrifying because I had just sort of been overtaken by events. So our guest is the writer of that, Matthew Quirk. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Matthew. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.